Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. And uh, now, are you going to do an interview with Pete? Yes. Actually, he already scheduled one. Um, cool. Yeah. And actually, it's funny. I had, I was talking to him on Facebook and, and asked if he would schedule an interview. And all of a sudden, like five minutes later, I had a text from him on my phone. And I was just like, oh my gosh, Pete Ramey just texted me. He just texted me on my phone. <laughs> um, I have been following Pete's literature and his group um, for a bit. I just actually recently bought his textbook. And I've been slowly picking away at that in every free moment that I have. Uh, and I will be going to his clinic in August in Massachusetts, so I'm excited to see more. But I think that he has a lot to offer the community. I, I mean, as a horse owner and trainer, I get to hold horses for farriers, all, all different kind of farriers. So I see a lot of different methods being used. Um, and I really like how he promotes, like, you know, even if the horse is shod, like, their their foot should be sound underneath. You shouldn't be, you know, they, they should be able to be sound without even. Um, but I I really think that he has a lot to offer the, the horse and hoof community. And I really hope that that information spreads. He sees the next generation of trimmers coming up and really wants to put time and... Uh knowledge into them while he can and uh so it's it's i mean i'm like totally getting cheesy but he's not only helping horses now but he's really helping to help horses in the infinite future by doing what he's doing so it's awesome okay i'll admit it i definitely was a little bit of a fangirl when pete ramey texted me to set up an interview pete not only changed the way i look at hoof care but how so many people all over the world look at healthcare too. So when he wanted to set up an interview, I did it for as soon as possible. Uh, why don't you tell us your name and how you're involved in healthcare? I'm Pete Ramey, and I am a farrier that specializes in the rehabilitation of hoof problems. Um, mostly I specialize in laminitis cases and navicular or caudal palmar foot pain. And what is your approach to hoof care? What is your hoof care philosophy? My philosophy is complicated uh, because rehabilitating hoof problems is complicated. Um, I, I've studied the methods of countless people and thought it would be cool to develop methods of my own. Uh, what I've learned is, is that the, every method that I've ever heard of, uh, all of them work somewhere and, but all of them fail. I really like the way Cindy Sullivan said it. Uh, any, anything you do to a horse, any, any method, if it fails one horse, then that is a tool, not a rule. And throughout my career, that's what I've found is lots of tools and really not one single rule. So to really succeed with, with rehabilitating problems, we have to think. So what I do instead of 
and, and this is both in the way I work and then the way I teach others as well, is rather than teaching specific, you know, lines and numbers and lengths and measurements, rules to do, is I try to teach a very, very deep understanding of the of anatomy, of what's going on internally and why and how different movement patterns affect um, the way the tissues grow. And, and so that then the more knowledge someone has about what's going on, then they can sort of make up their own method uh, on each individual hoof, on each individual horse, and, and then adapt if things are changing in a positive way or in a negative way. And so that to me is a lot more effective than any of the straight methods that most people will teach. And so it sort of branches into two different categories. Uh, I guess my main uh, hoof care philosophy, and one is the movement of the horse, the, the, and specifically the way the feet hit the ground. Horses compensate for pain on the bottom of the foot, usually by either landing on their toes or landing on the side of the foot. And both of these movement patterns really destroy the foot and cause the foot to fall further and further and further out of function. Um, the most common, the toe-first impact, over time it destroys the lamellar connection, it, it, it peels the walls off the horse, it thins the sole, it allows the back of the foot to fall further out of function. Whereas if the horse is loading as they should, basically flat at, at the walk and, and, and heel first at faster gates, then that movement pattern promotes well-connected lamina, a thicker sole at the toe, um, better health at the back of the foot, both internally and externally. And so that movement moves the foot uh, into a better direction. And this is probably the most important thing that I've learned about trimming in my entire career is I think most philosophies focus on cutting the foot to specific lengths or, or um, uh, uh, into a certain shape. And, and that's fine if that also improves the movement. Uh, but if, if, if you're following a philosophy and then the movement and the footfall pattern is, is sacrificed, then that, port, that foot will go further and further uh, away from health. And so when I trim horse, and it's the same with my booting and shoeing decisions, I'm trying to, or at least my number one priority is to improve that movement and the comfort and the footfalls and the way the foot hits the ground. And that is what develops the foot into that better form that we all want. Then the other whole branch of my philosophy is, is with nutrition. That um, after 20-something years of, of working, you know, full-time rehab for a living, I've come to think that over 90% of the, uh, the hoof problems that I've been called to have been primarily nutritional problems. And so if you go on one of these cases, 
And, you know, and I'm not discounting the trimming, the shoeing, you know, all of this, if you're good at what you do, you know, you should improve the situation. But if you're trying to trim and shoe your way out of a nutritional problem, then at some point you're going to improve it. And then it's going to hit a wall because all you're doing is addressing symptoms. So you have to go back to the underlying cause, which again, almost always either all of it or part of it is, is, is the nutrition that's going into that horse. Yeah. I think that those are really, really great points. And I think a lot of people will admit that, or will say that, Oh, that's important for, you know, a hoof care provider to know or a farrier to know, but why do you think that this kind of knowledge about hooves is important in even just horse ownership? Well, knowledge is power. I remember well before I ever started studying farrier work, I was buying and selling a lot of, of horses for my, uh, I, I ran a, a dude operation and I was buying and selling a lot of horses and and I would be at a sale or, or, you know, looking to buy a horse and his feet would look bad. And, you know, I was wishing my farrier was there, you know, um, is this something that you can fix in two or three shoeing cycles or, or is this a no go? I need to not buy this horse. You know, I just, I remember wishing I had my farrier in my pocket, you know, then the other part of it is the more knowledge a horse owner has then they're going to be able to evaluate the, the care the professionals are giving to them. And nobody's going to be able to pull the wool over their eyes, either on accident or on purpose. It's, um, it's kind of like the old story with the mechanic that on your car, that if you go into a mechanic saying, my car, my car goes bumpity, 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 um, uh, that's, you, you may spend a lot more money. You may not get as good a service is if you went in there knowing specifically, okay, this is broken. I need you to replace that specific part. You're going to save a lot of money and you're going to get better care. So it's a, a similar thing to that. And, you know, it's just knowledge is power. I probably should have just answered the question uh, with that. No, that's, I mean, I love that explanation too. And you had mentioned that you had a dude ranch, you know, you hadn't become a farrier yet at that point. Um, so can you tell us a little about your story and journey into health care? It's, it's a two stage story. Stage number one was, was economics. I had, I, I had, you know, the numbers varied a little, little bit, but usually I owned about 30 horses at a given time and they were all in work. They were working for a living and I was given all of my would be profits to the farrier. <laughs> And so basically I decided that, okay, if I'm going to do this and make a living, I've got to learn how to shoe my own horses. And so, um, I did my original apprenticeship and started, uh, um, you know, studying books and all that. And, you know, learning to shoe just to do my own horses. Actually, I had, um, I had seven or eight draft horses at the time and, and they made up the majority of my shoeing bill. Uh, truth is my original plan was just to shoe my draft horses and, and then just pay the farrier to trim the small horses. And they, you know, they cost three times more to shoe. But, um, so that was stage one, uh, just trying to save money, but very quickly I fell in love 
and mostly with the rehab aspect of it. I was I was into the the problem solving aspect and the 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 touchy feely aspect of rehabilitating horses from really from the start. And this there there may have been some economic part in this too because but at any rate I ended up um over the over several years buying a lot of horses from the um from the killer market. And I would go and, you know, take $2,000 in a, in a gooseneck uh, trailer to, to the auction and try to buy horses that, you know, from what I could see only had foot problems and everything else seemed okay with them. And so I would, you know, come home with a trailer full of horses. And so that was my start into the rehab. And that's where my heart stayed. Um, to a point now, a smarter man, and this is what I always recommend to, to apprentices and people that I teach and everything is find 300 client horses with, with, you know, all the problems are worked out. The owners at work, uh, while you're trimming the horses and just stop there. Don't take any new clients, take care of your 300 horses for the rest of your life. And, you know, that's the smart way to do what I do as a business or to, to be a trimmer or farrier. Um, but, but I hate it. There's no way I could do that. And maybe when I'm 90, I'll do that. <laughs> but uh, I, I need the problems. I like to, um, to be taking on the new cases and, and, and always trying to work through the problems and, and as I get the problems worked out, the the better things get, the more I lose interest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your favorite part of your day-to-day business right now? Two favorites. Um, I already mentioned it's that setup trim. It's that first day on a, a on a on a new problem horse that 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 has major problems. I love that first trim. Uh, um, and then, you know, booting, the glue-ons, you know, whatever, whatever I'm doing uh, in that initial setup trim. And also it's that, it's that interaction with the client and looking at how the horse is being fed, cared for, um, housed, you know, the whole package. Uh, just, I love that. I, uh, I love that day. And um, the other one, well, it's very different, but it's more of a horse thing that there's not a client around. Um, and, and it's just me and the horses and day in, day out. I'm, um, I'm fast. I'm moving, um, I'm getting this one done, moving on to the next, but every once in a while, I just, I get ahead of my schedule or something. I slow down and, and just really, really feel the horses. It's uh, I don't know if I can describe it, just to to be in a barn full of horses all munching hay and hanging out or or out in a pasture uh working on horses and and the others are gathered around and and all that just just hanging out with them is 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 um, I used to be a rider but but now my favorite thing's just just being with horses just me and them and has that always been the favorite part of your career or have you had other favorite parts of your career throughout your work Overall, career-wise, um, I think the um, the the highlight so far was the Dr. Taylor at Auburn University basically did a study evaluating laminated courses uh, that I was taking care of and uh, marking the progress throughout. And it's called fourteen 
if you did 14 obese laminated courses, if you search that, you know, it, it, it pops up. Um, and, um, and so that study coming out and showing, um, the reversal of, of, of rotation, showing, uh, all these lame horses becoming sound comfortable, um, and was was uh, and having that in a in a peer reviewed veterinary paper is is uh, a highlight to my career. Um, but overall, of the I really enjoyed watching the change. Um, and a lot of people that are that are into this um, newer type of thinking about about hoof care and lameness, uh, it just seems so painfully slow. But as an old guy, remembering back the way things were 25 years ago, there actually has been a, a lot of, of positive change in overall horse keeping and veterinary research and, um, and hoof care philosophy. And, and I get to quietly, smugly kick back and feel like I was a part of that. Yeah, I always I, I joke that that he's sort of ruined traditional hoof care for so many people <laughs> in a good way. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's more it's more than just the hoof care. Yeah, it's Pete's philosophy of how he deals with people. Hey, this is Megan Hensley, and uh, Pete Ramey has been a huge influence in uh, my hoof care career. In fact, his article digging. For the truth on navicular is what completely shifted my perspective. In fact, um, I sold my anvil and all my steel shoeing uh, stuff and moved completely into the composite hoof boot, natural hoof care world. So over the years, have you had a favorite kind of case to work on or even a favorite kind of client to work with? My favorite cases are something that really makes me think. Um, um, there's times even that I'm working on, you know, what would be considered major, uh, you know, a, a, a 20 degree rotation or, or a horse with navicular changes, but that I can sort of go on autopilot. And, but when, when something really rattles my cage and really confuses me, um, uh, keeps me awake at night. Uh, that's actually my favorite. And the favorite kind of client is just a client that will do what I ask. <laughs> Sounds awful. I know it's the clients that are listening, but, but the flip of it is the, the most hoof problems are, are, are man-made in some way or another. And, and sometimes it's a failure mistake, but usually it's, it's horse keeping mistakes. And so therefore the horse keeping has to change to, to do any real change to the problem. So, um, non-compliant horse owners or horse owners that aren't willing to, to, um, uh, to make these changes that just want somebody to come and wave a magic wand and make their horse sound. Those are the least favorite. Uh, they tie our hands. Uh, so of course, to answer the question, my favorite are the ones that, that, 
that are willing to to listen and to make the changes that are needed so that the hoof care provider and the veterinarian can succeed. As I've been doing interviews with various hoof care providers, I've noticed that a lot of them have issues with owner non-compliance in terms of how owners can help with their horse's hoof health. So what would you say the hardest part of your job is? Uh, honestly, owner non-compliance is the thing that just like is the only negative thing that I feel like I'm encountering right now. I'd say the main thing kind of that I'm struggling with is really trying to figure out how to get people to do <laughs> what you need them to do to get the horse in the best possible health in terms of their hooves. Oh man, I guess my ideal client um, would um, be very open to listening to dietary advice. Pete has some really good pointers in how he approaches owners about how important it is that they're involved with their horse's hoof health as well. So when you first started getting into the holistic hoof care approach, did you have clients that were really resistant or, you know, overwhelmed at the whole idea? It's, you know, you're not just a fair coming in to put shoes on. <laughs> um, well, I saw resistance then and, and, and I see it now. But something that I've had to swallow over the years is that if you go back in my history and say, if you go back 20 years ago, I was just starting to realize the, the, the carb overload, the, you know, vitamins and minerals, uh, uh, you know, could, couldn't do, you know, you know, we're causing a lot of these problems that we're trying to fix out here. But I was much, much more focused on the, the trimming and, and so I would mention diet as, as like a footnote. And I got near zero compliance. But, but now I have more of the attitude like, you know, look, if you're not going to change the diet on this horse, then, then I'm going to fail. And, you know, you can fail with someone way cheaper than me. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're wasting my time and your money, you know, so... And I'm ready to leave. You know, I'm I, I'm gone. And and that's that's when. And I and I've I've long said that I do my best negotiation with clients with one foot in my truck. <laughs> you know, um, but but then when they realize that it's that important to me that I don't even want to put my name on it without this and this change, then then they're like, oh wait wait wait, what were you saying uh, again? And so. Now I get much better owner compliance, which makes me realize that it was partially my fault all along that when I wasn't getting owner compliance. And, and uh, it's been that way with a lot of other aspects, with, with, with booting horses, with getting people to treat um, um, uh, you know, fungus and bacteria if they're causing a problem, you know, with everything that I, and, and environmental changes, that with all of these things, um, um, the, the more important it becomes to me, then, then that transfers over to the client. And when it's something that I just mentioned in passing, it, it's going to get ignored. So, uh, but still, yes, uh, I, I still, I still have non-compliant clients every day or partially compliant clients. 
um, and and those make me look bad. The compliant clients make me look smart, and I, I prefer to look smart. <laughs> <laughs> and have you had any cases um, that really surprised you and the client, or even just really surprised you that you thought maybe wouldn't have been successful, but they were? Uh, I get surprised all the time. <laughs> uh, in fact, the, 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 the surprises, uh, particularly the negative ones, um, have, have been what has shaped my entire philosophy. Um, if, if shooting horses fixed all the problems, I would, I would have stopped at learning to shoot. Um, if, if a barefoot trim fixed all the problems, I would have stopped at learning to, to, to trim, um, you know, right on down the line, my failure has shaped, uh, shaped my entire career. Now, each time that I've learned something new or, or realized something, uh, I thought it was going to be some new Holy grail that fixed all of my problems. And, but it wasn't, it was just, a. Uh, it would fix a percentage of them. I learned to shoe and, and I helped horses. And then I got into the barefoot trimming and, and, and I helped, uh, uh, another high, a little higher percentage of the horses. Um, then I got more into booting, into the gluing, uh, into diet. Um, the first for me, it was carbs and, 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 uh, and then, you know, the more detailed parts of the diet, um, 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 then I discovered fungi, uh, <laughs> you did not want to make be my client. Then I made those poor people soak their brains out, you know, and, and it helped a lot of the horses, you know, but, but, um, then there was those that it didn't. And so it, it's, um, 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 I think, I think that goes into a lot of just who I am, the, the, and why I'm a rehab you know, motivated person is that I can be succeeding on 10 horses and, and I don't give them a moment's thought, but that one horse that I'm failing, that's, that's the one I think about all day. That's the one that keeps me awake all night. You know, you know, what else can I do? What, what, what else can I do to fix this? So that those failures or those surprises, I guess is, is what you're asking. Um, um, yeah, all the time. And, and, and every time it, it's, a it's, it's a learning experience or, or it should be. So if you, you could go back through your career, is there anything that, that you would have done differently or changed? I wrote my first book three years too early. Actually, I wrote it in 99 and, and got to do a little bit of editing in 2000. And it didn't come out until 2003. And actually, right when the book came out, it was it was already pretty obsolete to me um, because I was on a vertical learning curve. And so I really re- wish that I had written that book in 2003 instead of 99. And, and uh, I would have liked it better. But overall... It's like in fishing, you know, the one that got away. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also the best advice that I can give to any other professional is I wish that I had taken good pictures and, 
And I've been one of the more documented hoof care providers out there. But still, I mean, you know, I've taken pictures of such a small percentage. And I wish that I had taken pictures of everything. Good pictures. Take the time, clean it up, get it set up right. Take good pictures of absolutely every horse that I ever trimmed. And then remember later, this is another big part to take those follow-up pictures. And, and, um, and then the same with radiograph. I wish that I had saved every radiograph over the years and, you know, or, or a picture of it or, or whatever, because a lot of times I've had a tendency to take pictures of the big stuff. You know, when I'm going on a, a curly toed founder pony or, or a big rotation, you know, I'm pulling out the camera and, and even, even there, I haven't done enough of it, but have been more likely to take pictures then, you know, and that came from my start, you know, when I, when, when, you know, 20 years ago, uh, it was, it was virtually unheard of to, um, to grow out a, a, a hoof capsule rotation. So I started doing all this documentation of doing it. Um, but very quickly that became old hat. Now, you know, everybody can do that. Um, and the pictures that I have needed were simply going out wall cracks um, and making a thin-soled horse become thicker or, or, or developing a frog, uh, you know, the foot widening and, and, you know, so, and, and becoming a more robust, uh, wider foot. These simpler things that, that we do every day that I found that I didn't have any documentation for because I wasn't taking taking pictures of what I was considering to be the mundane cases. I didn't know what I was going to be trying to to prove to someone or demonstrate, you know, three years from now. And so if, if I had taken pictures of everything throughout my career, um, uh, that that's the one change I would have made. And so I know that. And I still can't make myself start doing it. Uh, so so um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing better than I was. And I really realized that that was a huge mistake that I've made is just not, not documenting every single case. So then looking ahead, do you have any goals still for the future? Oh, um, <laughs> you know, we did the... Um, the 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 camper tour where we loaded our younger kids up and homeschooled them and and spent two years riding around the country doing small workshops and working on problem horses and that's uh and and i mean i really love the the rv life so um i'm pretty sure that that when our kids are grown that you'll see us doing that again living in a camper and and touring around uh, working on horses and helping people and horses. Uh, did you have a favorite location that you visited for a clinic? Oh, everybody always asks me that. And that's the most, uh, <laughs> well, uh, my favorite was that camper tour, um, as far as locations go, because it was the change. You know, if I had been, if I'd been in the desert, I love the rainforest. And if I had been in the rainforest, I love the desert. If I'd been in the mountains, I love the beach and back and forth. Uh, so, so the change was cool, but I just, I like to be outside. So uh, I like everywhere, particularly if it's not people-y. 
Uh, but but then as far as travel goes, I guess it's Australia and Canada, uh, not because of the ground, but the, the people and the lifestyle, I think. Or I guess I imagine that the Canadians and Australians are are like Americans were a hundred years ago. No, I'm not calling you backwards. Uh, this is a compliment that, that um, Americans are a little grouchier, a little faster, a little more disgruntled. And <laughs> seems like Canadians and Australians are, are more laid back and just chill. So, so I really like to be around those people. And is there someone that you've worked with or that you know of that you really admire and respect? Ivy's got to be number one. Um, and I'm not saying that for brownie points. You'll never listen to this. But <laughs> what Ivy's done for me is constantly working my brain and, and then just forcing me to do things that are more big picture. My brain is all about the horse in front of me. You know, if it weren't for Ivy, I would still be climbing fences in the night and, and, and trimming horses that I thought need to be trimmed. And so she, she's been, she's been really important to shaping me and to, into who I am, um, as, as someone that, that gets out there a little bit. Then professionally, Dr. Ridgeway, Kerry Ridgeway, God, I miss him. He, he was, he was, um, veterinarian, uh, big in the endurance world. Then, then uh, turned to uh, body work and as the primary part of his practice in the latter part of his career. And, and if, you, if you've never studied him, it'd be just really helpful to anyone to go and find you know, his, his DVDs and, and, and his writings and everything. But I spent a lot of time studying him, and then he rode with me and, and, and my clients. And he was just a master at at finding body issues in the horse's body and, and, uh, watching the movement. And I guess, uh, Oh, since most of my hoof care philosophy is centered around the horse in motion, um, rather than standing still, uh, he's the one that really, uh, developed my eye, uh, for, for watching movement and, and picking out problems in movement. And, and I just, um, um, I'm still irritated with him for dying. Uh, we, we lost a good one there. As far as just pure raw respect goes, is um, Dr. Deborah Taylor, and she um, one of the best equine vets that I that I've ever been around. And what makes her that way is her constant thirst for knowledge. And Dr. Taylor can be summed up best with how we met. I don't, I don't know why she was on my website, but she was on my website and saw, you know, before and after radiographs, um, reversing distal descent, reversing, um, sinking. And I get this phone call and she's just, she's just like, how did you do that? I don't know how to do that. (laughs) You know, her mind and her mind works a lot faster than mine, you know, (laughs) and she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, you know, board certified, uh, veterinarian teaching in a, in a, in a vet school. And, and, and I don't know how to do that. How do you, how how do you, how do you make the bone go up in the hoof capsule? (laughs) (laughs) Slow down, slow down. I'll tell you, you know, and, and she, she was just went on a mission herself that, okay, here's somebody that knows how to do this one thing that I don't know how to do. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to find out, you know, 
and I think that she's worked her whole career that way. And it's why she's the vet that she is. Um, the, and again, the flip of that is we, we start to see so many, not picking on the veterinarians, but uh, uh, everybody, farriers to trainers to, to, you know, everybody in the business that, that spends some X amount of time learning and then enjoys the rest of their life as an expert. And, um, uh, and so when I see somebody that has a tremendous amount of knowledge yet is on a constant quest for more, I think she's probably wired like I am that her successes, she, she doesn't give her successes a, um, uh, another second's thought, but anytime she fails, you know, it, it consumes her. Um, I'm Deborah Taylor. I'm a veterinarian um, who focuses on hoof care and hoof rehab. You know, meeting Pete Ramey just really completely opened my mind to first, what was a normal hoof? Um, we see so many abnormal hooves as veterinarians that when I met him, I didn't even really recognize what normal looked like before I met Pete. Um, because I'd seen so much abnormal that I, you know, as long as the horse didn't have overt lameness, um, you know, we as veterinarians were not really, weren't trained to, you know, recognize, um, I guess what you'd call subclinical pathology that hasn't yet caused overt lameness. So those horses that are kind of on their way to having a hoof attack, we don't recognize those um, or weren't trained as veterinarians to recognize those. And so Pete taught me, you know, to recognize these subtle abnormalities, for instance, like central sulcus thrush, contracted central sulcus. I thought it was, when I met Pete, I didn't even know that it could be any different. I thought it was a confirmational flaw or just a confirmation of the horse. Um, I didn't recognize that it could be reversed and I didn't recognize, um, you know, what it was causing to the to the stride of the horse and how it was perpetuating long-term uh, biomechanical problems. So that would be the biggest thing, you know, that completely changed, you know, my way of looking at a hoof. Um, because then the point was, is that I didn't know any of that could, even if it was pathology, I didn't know it could be reversed until I met Pete. When I was struggling with a really hard hoof care case, or even struggling with my own horse, I would often think, what would Pete Ramey do? <laughs> and when I saw him pop up on my suggested friends one day on Facebook, I thought, there's no way this is really Pete Ramey. But then I noticed that all these other well-known hoof care providers were writing on his wall and saying, Pete, welcome to the Facebook world. And then all of a sudden, he set up a Facebook page and a Facebook group and he was offering advice to thousands all over the world on how to help their horses. And I actually, I asked that question about who you admire or respect to a lot of people so far now, and a lot of them said you, and a few people even mentioned your Facebook group, you know, Hoof Rehab Help, where you donate hours of your time for free. So how do you find the time to do that and what motivates you to do that? How do I find the time of texting and driving? <laughs> Most of it, I'm sitting on the side of the road. So I do it out trimming it. If I have a short drive in the morning, I, I usually, um, I spend an hour drinking my coffee and sitting there and, and, and working on that. 
And if I have a long drive, I get up and drink my coffee while driving and I actually allow, you know, an extra hour or so. And a lot of times I'll pull over on the side of the road. And, and then I do that between clients too. Um, I do allow a little extra space throughout the day. And, and, but I have my GPS set on my next client. And so I sit on the side of the road and watch the arrival time. And so when the arrival time gets to 10 o'clock, then, then I pull out and drive and mm-hmm. I, I do some more. That's when I find the time. The, the why of it is I really feel like maybe it's just trying to build add on to my karmic debt or something like that. But, but I really feel like that when I'm working on a horse, you know, I, I'm helping that horse. But if I help a person, I may help hundreds of horses, you know, uh, or thousands. And, and so I really feel like the teaching and then, you know, helping people work through hard cases specifically, which, uh, which I get to do a lot there um, is, uh, the, that I'm, that I'm helping a lot more horses than if I was spending the same time under a horse. I mean, I, I've appreciated it, not even just for help with my own horse, but I love reading the posts from other people and seeing what other people do or what you would recommend to do. And I think it's, it's broadened my knowledge, even just reading through it. <laughs> so it's been a really great resource for sure. Yeah. Mine too, actually. I I learned a lot there myself, by the way. And, really? <laughs> and, and yeah, I want to take this time too, actually, to thank um, the, um, the other professionals and and uh, and you know the nutrition experts and you know all the different people that that come on there and help because you know honestly, and it's the way I did for years. That that you know uh, f- before I started doing this. Um, I, I spent about an hour and a half a day, um, um, you know, helping people remotely, sometimes more, uh, and, but it would be one horse, one horse owner. And if it weren't for all the help I get there from other professionals, that would be all I would be able to, to help is, you know, one horse a day, maybe, uh, the, the knowledge base of, uh, of all the professionals that have come together, there helping horses, um, um, is, has, has allowed that volume. Oh, you know, the volume it, 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 it's way up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of horses getting help there. And yeah, it's, it, it's helped me a lot too. I've, I've, I've learned a lot in the process. Well, I think I, I've mentioned this actually during Sally's interview that I joked that, um, that you sort of, you know, ruin traditional hoof care for a lot of people. So <laughs> I think a lot of the knowledge comes from, you know, the way, at least for me, I know the way that seeing how you approach things sort of inspired me to to change how I look at, at my own horse or at hoof care at other horses now that I, you know, that I trim. So it's really cool. It's really cool to see that group growing. Yeah. I am really impressed by Pete's selfless ability to give away free education like he does in terms of how he uses his Facebook group and is and remains active on there. I mean, there's rarely a day where I'm like, hmm, haven't really seen, you know, like I see a thread, I'm like, oh, I really want to see what Pete thinks about this horse. And uh, like he almost always goes and comments on it. Um, and there's a lot of threads on there. So that's really, I admire him greatly for that. But also all the research 
he's put into understanding the barefoot hoof. I mean, it's just been monumental for our community and for the horses. So I admire him greatly. For the interview I did with Pete, we chatted for over two hours. So I decided to make this into two episodes. Stay tuned for next week when we get into more of the technical stuff that Pete does. Some glue-on boots and tape-on boot applications, some advice on working with distal descent, sole thickness, wall cracks, white line disease. I hope you tune in. If you're interested in learning more from Pete, his website, hoofrehab.com, has tons of free articles that anyone can access. The store on the website also has DVDs and books for owners and hoof care professionals. Care and Rehabilitation of the Equine Foot is one of my favorite books to reference when looking into ways that I can address certain pathology in the foot. And his DVD set, Under the Horse, really got me started before I started trimming myself. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.